we got another day of NBA action. And with FanDuel, every night is a watch party. So it's time for your FanDuel crew to make their bets. So, what's the move tonight, gang? You know that new customers who bet $5 get $200 back in bonus bets if you win. Woohoo! We're heating up, fam. Bet all the stars with all your friends and make every moment more only on FanDuel. New customers bet $5, get $200 back in bonus bets if you win. Make every moment more with FanDuel. It goes down in the dim. It go down. It go down in the dim. 21 plus and present in Virginia. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued is non-withdrawable bonus vest that expires seven days after receipt. See full terms at FanDuel.com slash sportsbook. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. This week on The Gray Area, Stephen Markley, author of the novel The Deluge, on why he was compelled to write an epic book about climate change. If 50 years from now we have used this period in history to turn the corner on the climate crisis, and you and I and everybody listening to this was a part of that, that is an incredible way to spend one's life. That's This Week on The Gray Area, available wherever you get your podcasts. friend texted me on Sunday. Holy shit. The next text read, Kobe Bryant was killed in a helicopter crash. I googled it. No one had written anything about it yet except TMZ. I checked Twitter. People had no idea what to believe. They were still questioning whether TMZ might have been misinformed, might have been misreporting. But pretty soon, everyone started to realize this was a thing that had really happened. I texted my friends in Los Angeles. None of them had heard the news yet. I texted my mom. She was shocked. It was still too early to process. Eventually, we'd talk about how Kobe might be the biggest loss of an L.A. icon maybe ever. And we'd talk about how a friend of my mom's had a really rough childhood, but the only thing her family ever enjoyed together was watching Kobe play for the Lakers. But on Sunday, it was just shock. Even more so when we found out Kobe's daughter died too. While most of the world was in shock and processing the news, an unexpected fight started brewing online about Kobe Bryant. Or maybe the fight was totally predictable for those of us who spend a lot of time online. Some people wanted to talk about Kobe's rape charges, And other people really didn't. But I think one thing no one saw coming was this fight playing out in a really conspicuous way at the Washington Post. In the hours after Kobe's death, a Washington Post national politics reporter, Felicia Sanmez, tweeted out a 2016 article from the Daily Beast about Kobe Bryant. The article was about his rape case in 2003. 
the entire tweet was just a link to the article and the title of the article, which was Kobe Bryant's disturbing rape case, the DNA evidence, the accuser's story, and the half confession. And she was immediately met by immense levels of backlash, um, people flooding her on Twitter and on her email saying that she was being very disrespectful, saying that it was far too soon to talk about any of these things, saying that, you know, this was all driven by an agenda. And, you know, she tweeted a little bit later that that was very eye-opening. She pointed out that to those who have literally emailed me with abuse and death threats, please take a moment and read the story, which was written three years ago and not by me. Any public figure is worth remembering in their totality, even if that totality is unsettling. She also added in a screenshot of her email inbox to kind of, I guess, prove to people the type of death threats and abuse she was receiving. And um, that screenshot of her inbox included some of the email information of the people who were abusing her. Well, the abuse didn't stop. She emailed her editors at the Washington Post to tell them that things were getting a little bit out of hand. It took a couple of hours for her to hear back from anyone. And during that time, she found out that her address was had been posted online. And she began to fear for her safety. So she started looking into getting a hotel room and eventually did get a hotel room for the night. So she later told a Washington Post reporter who was covering this Washington Post story that the editors emailed her and asked her to take down the tweets. She did admit that she was a little bit delayed in deleting them, partly because she was fearing for her safety and trying to figure out um, what to do next. And Tracy Grant, the managing editor of the Washington Post, emailed her again and said if she didn't follow through on deleting her tweets, she would be in violation of a directive from the managing editor. That night, she was actually put on a paid suspension because of the tweets. The newspaper said they were putting her on this paid administrative leave because her tweets displayed poor judgment and that her behavior on social media was making it harder for others to do their work as Washington Post journalists. So this is all Sunday night. What happens Monday morning? A lot of journalists were very upset to see this, um, considering she had merely sent a tweet about a factual story that had been posted. The Washington Post Guild their union came to her defense, and there was a letter signed by over 300 of her colleagues that was sent to the executive editor of the Washington Post, Marty Barron, and to Tracy Grant. This was a letter in support of Felicia. The next day, they did reinstate Sanmez, and they said that she, it turns out that they had done an investigation and that she did not actually violate the company's social media policy. However, they didn't apologize to her, and they maintained that they were very disappointed in her actions. Um, Their statement said, We constantly urge restraint, which is particularly important when there are tragic deaths. What do you think was going on here? 
why would the Washington Post suspend a journalist for sharing a news article after the death of a you know, legendary American athlete? What was actually playing out here? Well, I think that they responded to the fan backlash that was directed at her and directed at the paper. And that backlash came from the immense amount of grief that everyone was feeling that day. And also our society's inability to handle and to talk about rape allegations. The allegations against Kobe Bryant in 2003 were very serious. The way the media handled them and the way that law enforcement handled them were very disturbing. And a lot of survivors of sexual assault still remember to this day the silencing effect that the coverage and the treatment of Kobe Bryant's rape case had in 2003. And so for a lot of people, part of mourning Kobe Bryant is remembering this rape case. That is part of the legacy. But there are many more people who would rather not deal with that at all. I mean, you're a sports writer. You're talking about this right now. Have you talked about this on social media? Have you written about this and and felt the same sort of backlash that this Washington Post reporter did? Yeah. So I actually, when Kobe Bryant retired in 2016, I was a reporter for Think Progress at the time and wrote an article called The Legacy of the Kobe Bryant Rape Case. And I was met with so much hate and so much um, abuse for writing that article. And I was told that it wasn't the time to be talking about that, that we were just supposed to be celebrating him now. So I also, I cover a lot of sexual assault and domestic violence of athletes as part of my job on a regular basis. And anytime you cover that, a part of that coverage is dealing with a backlash. It's usually from people's fans. So if you're talking about Jameis Winston, the abuse will come from You know, Tampa Bay Buccaneers fans at college, the Florida State Seminoles, you'll get abuse from those fans. If I talk about past accusations against Ben Roethlisberger, the Pittsburgh Steelers quarterback, I'll get a lot of hate from Pittsburgh Steelers fans. So a lot of the idolizing we do of athletes is based in fandom. And so I would have expected if I were her to get that level of vitriol for tweeting out that article, especially at that time. And I think what I've landed on is just that it's a part of the conversation. It's not the whole conversation. He mattered to a lot of people. He's made a positive impact in a lot of ways. And the grief that people have is very real. But at the same time, he had an impact in this other way as well. And that legacy deserves to be talked about as well. And it's very damaging for survivors in particular. And Felicia Sonmez, we should say, has come out as a sexual assault survivor. So I think when people hear that it's too soon, that we shouldn't talk about that, a lot of times what they're hearing is that their feelings, their pain doesn't matter. Lindsay Gibbs writes a newsletter called Power Plays. It's about women in sports. She also hosts a feminist sports podcast called Burn It All Down. There is a way to talk about how great Kobe was while acknowledging the fact that he may have also hurt people. That's after the break on Today Explained.
Exaggerations and half-truths aren't new in politics. But now, with AI, people can create fake videos of candidates to sway your vote. I'm former U.S. Attorney Preet Bharara, and I've teamed up with technology expert and law professor Nita Farahani on my podcast, Stay Tuned with Preet, for a three-part miniseries, AI on Trial. Our second episode presents the hypothetical case of a hotly contested Senate race that is derailed when the leading candidate is accused of using AI to enhance his performance and hurt his opponent. How are we supposed to know when the technology becomes very difficult to validate something as truth or lies? Do existing laws, policies, and government agencies sufficiently safeguard the political process? Political speech is so tightly protected under First Amendment that it makes regulating in this space a real challenge. And what needs to happen to protect democracy in time for the real presidential election in November? When our elections are so close, where it comes down to nail-biting endings, a few voters here and there can really lead to differences in outcomes. The episode is out now. Search Stay Tuned with Preet wherever you get your podcasts. Zito Madhu writes about sports for SB Nation. He's also a former professional athlete. He played professional soccer in Turkey and for Detroit City FC. But on Sunday, he was just another guy online trying to process the news that the world had just lost Kobe Bryant. I was seeing writers that I respect who were writing about this thing, and they would just put in the fact of the rape case as almost just out of obligation. And then almost as a footnote, you'll see like, but he was also complicated because he had this rape case. And then they'll just move immediately to something else. Right. The word complicated kept getting used as sort of a quick pivot to, okay, here's a graph about a rape case. And then a quick pivot back to like, but he'll always be a legend. Yeah. So if you just say that it's complicated, you don't have to actually deal with what the complication is, right? Like it's just a way of using jargon in order to just move away from something that makes people uncomfortable with his legacy. Talking about this issue doesn't take away from the feelings that you had from him, or it shouldn't take away from your ability to grieve for him. So you took to Twitter to write something about this, and a lot of people shared it, retweeted it. We ended up seeing it, and that's why we're talking right now. So I wonder, could you tell us what you wrote? Uh, Yeah, sure. If you're going to mention a rape case, don't just sprinkle it in there out of obligation. You can just write why someone so heroic to millions of people also represented rape culture at its fullest. It's not that hard to see that your heroes could be seen in a different light by others, especially when they did do terrible things. So many people, including the media, helped them rehabilitate after the case without ever reckoning with what he did. What happened was what always happens. A powerful man was accused and people shamed the accuser and then went past the issue as quickly as possible. It's not unfair that some are still bitter about that and what it says about our world and how we value women. Every great thing that Kobe did afterwards, his support for women's sports, his love for his children and the youth, his new adventure into other ventures was wonderful. But it's still not up to the fans to grant him a redemption for the rape case. Redemption starts at the people you hurt. That's the problem with hurting someone. You can't go and erase it and the power to fix it is not in your hands. What kind of reaction did you get when you posted this on Twitter? Surprisingly, or at least it surprised me, I got DMs from women and like survivors who were talking about the conflicted feelings that they had because some of them even 
adored Kobe Bryant, but they were conflicted in the fact of what he also represented with that rape case in general. And so I got a lot of people who were happy that I said the thing that they were thinking also because if they had said the same thing, they would have probably received an incredible amount of abuse in a way that I didn't. But naturally, there were a bunch of individuals angry that I would bring up such a thing after he died or just in general, because there's never just a good time to actually talk about situations like this. Why do you think people were receptive to you but would have blasted women for saying the exact same thing? Well, because women in sports in general just get a lot of abuse as if sports is just an all-boys club. And sports fans always see, or male sports fans, always see the fact that you bring up something bad that their heroes did as a way for you to tear them down. For example, I got the abuse that I got was very particular from other Black men who were saying that I was trying to tear Kobe down and I shouldn't be doing so as a Black man. I should be supporting him which was a misinterpretation of what I was doing. I'm not trying to tear him down. It was simply just bringing in the, you know, the elephant in the room and saying that you can't just walk past it. You know, sports is filled with narratives constantly. We're constantly seeing, you know, rise and falls and and comebacks and epic upsets. I mean, this is a world in which stories are constantly being created and recreated and and yet they really struggle with human stories and how to deal with them. What is it about sports that is, you know, particularly vulnerable to tripping up over stuff like this, over stories that are complicated? Yeah, I think sports, just because it has a flat narrative, is built on that. Like, the one of the only stories that sports knows how to tell is just redemption stories. So, for example, even if we look at somebody like LeBron, like, he has the rise from him being this, like, chosen one to him being, like, great in the NBA. And then he has the fall, which is, like, 2011 against the Dallas Mavericks or when he moved to the Miami Heat, right, which is where everybody turns on him, he becomes the villain. But then after that, he comes back to Cleveland, which is his redemption story. So you win there and you're redeemed and all of us, like, you reach the final stage where everybody just kind of likes you. And so sports just has these stories like that's all they know how to tell basically and when you have a situation that is outside of sports like sexual assault or rape in order to tell these stories you would need a whole new infrastructure that knows how to talk about human problems away from the sporting aspects of it so what eventually just happens is these big human problems are then seen as things that just need to be overcome right like last year I wrote about Derrick Rose, who had been accused of rape and who went through the process while he was with the New York Knicks. And then he went to the Minnesota Timberwolves, where he tried to resuscitate his career. And he had a game where he scored his career high 50 points. Derrick, 2011 MVP, Rose! And the first thing that the announcer said was, He's got a lot of stuff going on off the court. And... I'm not a judge and I'm not a jury. And to my estimation, he's not been convicted of anything. And what he is, is hard. He plays hard. He is a gutty basketball player. And so it's just a celebratory thing. And then if somebody like Kobe or somebody like Derrick Rose or some just an individual in sports who has been accused of something like rape or domestic violence, 
and the, the media plays a huge role in this, is that if that individual starts playing well again, they turn whatever the crime was or the accused crime was into nothing more than like obstacles for the athlete to overcome. Because in sports, the only thing that ultimately matters is the victory, like helping the team winning the championship. What was clear to me, like in the wake of Kobe's death and seeing what happened to this Washington Post reporter and seeing threads like yours and all of this commentary was that we're still really trying to figure out how to talk in these moments, how to talk about people who have done things that are incredibly good and incredibly bad. And that, I think, transcends sports. You know, I think of people like Woody Allen or Bill Cosby or R. Kelly. What do you think people can do if they want to engage in these conversations and not end up discounting the experiences of people who may have been harmed? For me personally, what I always have is like my moral obligation is just compassion to all the necessary parties, right? Like I just think human life in general is just a miraculous thing, but I don't just extend that to the people that I like. It's just more of a general thing. And so in the case of someone like Kobe Bryant, if you think Kobe is just this wonderful thing and his existence is one of the best things that's happened to you, then you have to also extend that type of compassion to the victims. You have to extend that to the person that he's hurt. Then you have to reckon with the fact that your hero has done one of the things that you think is bad. And if we're going to ever be fair to victims, if we're ever going to make a better world, then we have to not let people of great power and importance just get away with whatever simply because they've made us happy or that they mean a lot to us. Zito Madhu writes for SB Nation. You can find his piece about Derrick Rose and his tribute to Kobe Bryant at SBNation.com. Just look out for his byline. Zito is Z-I-T-O and Madhu is M-A-D-U. You can also find him on Twitter at Zeets. That's Z-E-E-T-S. I'm Sean Ramos for him. I'm at Ramos for him. And this is Today Explained at Today underscore Explained. <laughs>